Commentary is for general information purposes only. Clients should seek professional advice for their particular situation. As I always say, when I go on vacation, markets sell off. Again, it happened this year. Don't listen to others. You need to take chances and you need to take the risks sometimes in order to make things happen for yourself. Nirmal Purja, aka Nimstai. The US Federal Reserve increased interest rates for the first time in more than three years last week. The rate now will be in the range of 0.25% to 0.5%. In addition to this increase, the FOMC has indicated that they plan on increasing rates in subsequent meetings depending on the data. The March 16th announcement was widely expected first step of the Fed's climb up the interest rate now. They have a summit in mind, but it remains to be seen if they can get there and how soon. The Netflix documentary 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible chronicles the quest of Nirmal Purja, aka Nimzai, and his team to climb the 14 mountains in the world that are higher than 8,000 meters in record time. The prior record was 7 years and 310 days. His team did it in 189 days. You may be asking, what does climbing the world's tallest mountains have to do with US central bank policy? You may be surprised, but there are many similarities to a mountaineer attempting a summit and that of a central bank climbing the interest rate mountain. Join us as we discuss these similarities. Listen on. This is Investments Unplugged. Welcome to Investments Unplugged. I'm your co-host, Makan Nia, Co-Chief Investment Strategist at Main Life Investment Management. And I'm I'm joined here as usual with my partner in crime, Co-Chief Investment Strategist, Kevin Headland. How's it going, Makan? Yeah, very good. You? Good, man. Good. Considering you have COVID, everything's going okay? I'm recovering. Yes, I finally got it. It was a matter of time. It seems to elude me, no matter no matter with everyone around me having it. 2022 has been very remarkable in terms of starting the year. And I was kind of thinking about it the other day, Kev, in terms of a puzzle, in terms of what to expect from 2022 returns. And what seemed to be somewhat of a full puzzle over the past couple of weeks, we've, we've noticed there's missing pieces. Uh, whether it is the geopolitical risk in Eastern Europe, whether it is Fed talk uh, in terms of what they may or may not do to combat high inflation. And I feel that we got a bit of that puzzle. We got a couple pieces to fill in the puzzle, I think last week with the Fed announcement. Just a very quick recap. We had Jerome Powell last week came out and the US Federal Reserve for the first time in three years increased their overnight rate with the range being between 0.25 and 0.5. They illustrated or they indicated that there will be many Fed hikes throughout this year. The markets today are pricing in six more. They did not give the exact specifics in terms of QE, in terms of what to expect, but they did highlight that QT is coming in subsequent meetings and more likely the ones closer to today than the ones that might be after the summer. The comments were initially viewed as hawkish by the markets. We saw, I think at the time, uh, in North America anyway, so let's use the broad U.S. stock market, the S&P 500 was up nearly a percent and a half. 
lost all of that very quickly. When you look at the term structure from whether it's the 10 and twos, five and twos, three months and two years, you get the gist. They all flatten. So they all were indicating hawkishness and something remarkable happened. So the notes are posted at 2.10 and Jerome Powell has his conference at 2.30. And throughout the conference, markets rebounded. And we saw markets being up close to two plus percent. We saw some of that flattening kind of unwind with the bonds. And Kev, we listened to the press conference together. And I think two things really stuck out to me is you can look at it from one or two ways. You can look at it from way number one. Yes, the Fed's hawkish. Six expected hikes. And the markets don't believe them. They're taking the under, right? And that should be positive for risk assets. We fall into that camp. And then the second aspect is one thing you really noticed throughout the presentation, he kept mentioning over and over again how strong the U.S. economy was to a point where labor markets are a little bit too tight for his liking, where it might actually have an impact. And maybe you take the other side of it and, okay, maybe the markets can or maybe the U.S. economy can handle six hikes and maybe that was a positive thing we're going to stick to the uh, former we still believe they go under six since then so we are taping this on monday march 21st the decision was obviously last week and markets have rallied since then for many markets across the world uh, they're actually at or above where they would have been prior to uh, the invasion of ukraine so i thought what happened what was announced and the market just took it differently uh what did you think about it kev this is what the market expected um i think the original announcement it came out a little bit hawkish as uh, again the dot plots changed and they they seemed ready to increase rates maybe as fast or faster than the market expected prior to it so i think the initial digestion was um announcement of 25 base point hike and and, and a hawkish tone and I think maybe a lot of the market was expecting a dovish tone uh, as a result of the conflict uh, in Ukraine. This is not raising rates from a neutral level to combat an overheated economy, combat high inflation. It is simply reducing the additional stimulus they put in place during the COVID crisis two years ago, two plus years ago, because the economy no longer needs it. And by reducing that additional stimulus, they expect to remove some of that inflationary pressure that they caused. And I think that's what Jerome Powell wanted to get across is saying this is a normal tightening period following an ultra accommodative recessionary environment. And we're just going trying to get back to normal. And that's the key. And he said the economy is on solid footing. Uh, you know, all the data that comes out is yes, it's weaker than it was. We all know this. We've talked about it ad nauseum, but it's still really solid. Um, and I think if we weren't uh, in the midst of, of, a, of a material conflict uh, in Eastern Europe, markets would be digesting this and, and moving higher. And I think that because the fundamentals remain strong. And I think that's key. Yeah, we watched uh, on Netflix. It's called 14 Peaks. Nothing is impossible. And at a very high level, it's basically, it entails a journey of uh, this mountaineer, Nirmal Purja, what we call him Nimsdai, and he's trying to beat the record of climbing the 14 8,000 meter peaks in the world. And previous to that, uh, the record was eight years. Him and his team did it in 190 days. And without going too much into the details, we drew a lot of parallels between what really Jerome Powell is about, has started, and that's his hike up the interest rate mountain. Uh, and what they were trying to achieve. And we've had questions because we've talked about this a bit over the past couple of weeks. 
in terms of eight meters, 8,000 meters wide, that's important from a mountaineering perspective. Uh, it's really the pressure of oxygen at that level is so insufficient that you can't actually stay above 8,000 meters for a material period of time. Your body literally starts eating itself alive. And so you gotta, when you hit that, you gotta go up quickly, you gotta come back. And we drew a lot of parallels between his endeavors and really what Jerome Powell's about to do. And right now, and you've noticed this, Kev, over the past couple of weeks, everyone's drawing comparisons to previous Fed rate hike tightening cycles, trying to get a clue in terms of what to expect from market returns uh, based on history. We did all the work and we're gonna talk about it in a bit. We look back at the nine previous Fed rate hike tightening cycles since the 70s. In a nutshell, I think we came to two main conclusions. Number one is the path is not set in stone. There's one guarantee that there's no guarantee. And when you look at the actual, when you put it on your Bloomberg in terms of the Fed rate tightening cycles, they kind of mimic mountains. They're different. The hike up is different every time. The path is different every time. The environment is different every time. And even the descent is different every time. We take that um, to very similar to the mountains that he climbed. They're all very different. Uh, but those one is the path is not set in stone. There's not a, a formula for each time. And then the second one is everyone's talking about policy mistakes. And some might talk about why the term structure flattened is because the markets are pricing in a recession. Uh, that's why it's flattening. Uh, but we noticed too is policy mistakes typically don't happen at the beginning. They happen at the end. And we'll draw comparisons to that when you're hiking as well. Maybe we'll start with Kev, the first one. And that's the path is not set in stone. So when we look back at the last nine, the path is not set in stone. And there's one guarantee that there's no guarantee. Yeah, it's interesting you're saying that because, as you said, everyone's trying to to figure out what is the reaction of the market following this uh, path, what's happened last time. And you said every environment is different uh, and, and every mountain is different. And you have to, you have a goal in mind, of course, to summit the mountain, but you have to come at it a different way. There's different paths away, up the mountain. And as you said, you go on Booberg and look at that or on any chart that shows you the different rate hike cycles and through the late 70s, early 80s, 90s, and now, they're, they're all quite different, quite interesting, um, and they do look like a mountain range. But the key is, every step of the way, is reassessing the environment. You know, Yes, the Fed wants to raise rates, and I'm sure if they can get through six more rate hikes this year, and the environment has remained the same, and they've been able to cool inflation somewhat, and the employment market remains strong, and everything's fine, they'll be quite happy with that. But it's these unexpected changes in the environment, right? Weather changes. When you're climbing up a mountain, I remember uh, many years ago, I was fortunate enough to hear from a, uh, a financial advisor um, that, that actually summited uh, um, Mount Everest. And and he talks about the environment, talks about things. And, and if you've ever looked at summit, you know, going up Mount Everest, there's a specific window that you can go through in order to, a timing to, to summit. And if you don't make that window, it's you, you've missed out and you got to go back down. So you have to time it upward. And at the same time, if weather changes, all of a sudden a, you know, a, a storm comes out of nowhere at these altitudes and you have to pause for sometimes a few days, sometimes a week and really changing your expectations or your timing to achieve the summit. And sometimes you don't get there, right? And the Fed 
has sometimes started on a path to rate hikes and didn't get there. Or they started, like in 2015, they once went once, and waited a full year before going again and re, you know, uh, uh, restarting or, or continuing their climb up the, uh, the interest rate mountain. So it, it really is interesting as, as we've talked through this kind of analogy, and I said it's been at least two months we've talked about this, it makes a lot of sense when you, you think about it, how it, it is very similar. Yeah, like my wife and I many, many years ago climbed Kilimanjaro. And I remember vividly on day three, we had the plan set in place, ready to go. And then we got hit by a storm and we had to stay in the tent for a bit. Um, things change. And you alluded to Kev back in 2015. Uh, in August, the markets were pricing in basically two and a half to three hikes. And then come December, they raised once and then the environment changed and the environment changed. It wasn't a weather, obviously, but you had oil prices collapse. You had uh, China significantly slowing down. So they had started the hike uh, and then they paused because the environment changed. And then they actually paused for the full year and then began their, their path again that following year. And then they went in lockstep over those next two years but it's important to know everyone's trying to uh, make things set in stone and that's not the case especially when it comes to fed rate hikes and especially with a fed that is cautious there's a lot going on so we would caution those advisors that think these things are set they are not history has shown that and i thought you pointed to a very good boy kev we're just coming off the lower bound like zero basically this is this is actually a good news story in the sense that They've begun the hike. Uh, we'll see the path that they go on. So markets are still pricing in six. We're taking the under. Um, but we, t- we put on our boots and we started the hike. And that's a good thing, actually. Starting is a good point. It gets some of the uncertainty out of the way, right? For prior to early January, the fear was, okay, are they going 50 basis points in, in March? And, and now we've, okay, we've gone off the sidelines. We're in the game. We're, we're starting to climb uh, and we'll see where things go. And as you mentioned, now it's, Okay, what about the mistake? Are we climbing the interest rate mountain too quickly? And is the you know are we going to get the mistake early on, and perhaps the Fed raises rates too quickly, and they can't control the supply side of the inflation equation, so inflation doesn't come down, and so they've maybe gone too quickly, uh, or they've uh, miscalculated the amount of inflation they can control, or what if they are going too slowly? And they got to go faster because inflation's that much stronger. So it's now about potential for mistake, and when does it occur? And I think you uh, talked about this: is it's at the end or near the end when mistakes happen. So we wrote an investment note about this last week. It's called the Fed rate tightening. Interest rates are going up, starting to ascend the mountain. So. Within that, we have multiple tables that look back at the previous nine tightening cycles and what the rates were when they started, how many times they hiked, how long they are, what was the return of markets going into them, what was the six-month returns after the first hike, one year, two years. So if you want the exact data there, it's in our note. But I think when it comes to these tables, it's important to do the work. I have issues with these tables sometimes because you're taking two set dates, right? You're taking, okay, six months out. So I want to just point back to 15, 2015. So the market performance really six months after that first rate hike cycle was 1.4%. Now, if I took it instead of six months and made it seven months, my return went from 1.4% to nearly 6%. By not including that one month after, so instead of including six months, including seven, 
my return profile was an extra 5% because of that return that one month. So when you look at these tables, it's important to realize they are set dates to dates. So when we look at the previous nine, the market peaks, uh, when you look back at them, at least five to six of them. So basically six of the nine times, the peak actually happened when they started cutting rates after. It wasn't on the ascent. And one time, actually, we didn't even get a recession when they were hiking. So they're different. I think the one thing I point out, mountaineers don't make the mistakes typically on the climb up. And there's many reasons for it. But one is you're cautious to begin. You're all filled with anxiety, your adrenaline, you're very measured with your approach to the mountain. I found that on Kilimanjaro. The first couple of days, we were very, very cautious. And then... Um, what typically happens is with the Fed, specifically, that correction usually happens towards the end. They, they tighten too, too much towards the end. They try, to, they try to make a nuance. They don't, and that induces the recession. There's been multiple studies on this, Kev, from a mountaineering perspective, depending on which study you follow. But from a minimum, it's either 50 to 75% of mistakes from mountaineers happen on the way down. You've reached your summit. You think you've, you think you've uh, conquered a mountain, you let up your guard, and then that's when the mistakes typically happen. And when we look at it today, I know everyone's looking at, okay, the Fed mistake, Fed mistake. I couldn't believe how much last week when you listen to CNBC and Bloomberg, everyone was ready to say, oh, they've already made a mistake. They, they'll probably make a mistake, Kev. History showed that they will make that mistake, but it's not a 2022 story. It's probably not even a 2023 story. This is probably that's going to happen some point in 2024 where that mistake happens. But there's very commonalities between the two is the mistake doesn't happen at the beginning. The mistakes typically happen at the end. Well, they're also now talking about the fact that the um, yield curve is starting to flatten and, and already talking about an inversion of the 10-year, two-year yield curve and, and talking about recession. And yes, it's flattened. We've seen it flatten. We know that two-year moves higher when the Fed starts to raise rates or when the expectation of rate hikes happen. And the 10-year is flattening or coming down because we're starting to price in slower economic growth over the future. But we've also seen the 10-year come down a little bit also on risk aversion and the safe haven trade. So we have to take some of this flattening of the curve with a grain of salt. But also, I would say, as you said, it's not a 2022 story. Even if the 10-year, two-year yield curve inverts, typically we are still um, almost a year and a half, roughly 17 months away from a recession after initial inversion. And the 10-year, two-year is even inverted many times without causing recession or without leading to a recession. So yes, it's an indicator. Yes, it's flattening, but also we expected that. The 10-year, three-month yield curve is actually a much better indicator of uh, more imminent recessions. When that inverts, we're usually about a year or 11 months away from a recession. And at this level where we are today, we are way over, uh, you know, almost two and a half years away uh, from a recession. Uh, so we need to you know, just, yes, things are happening, but we don't want to be alarmist. We want to take uh, things with a grain of salt, look at other indicators as well to support the argument. And right now, as you said, the Fed has started their climb. The, uh, Powell has told us that the economy is on solid footing. The data seems to support that. Um, and I think this is, a, this is actually a positive uh, environment right now. 
um, as uh, the fundamentals remain attractive. Um, and we're getting a bit of volatility, but that's, that's to be expected, I think. In uncertain times, we want certainty. So we look back at history and try to create these uh, rules of thumb, let's say. And one is when the VIX is above 30, it's typically a very good time to invest. That has always, that's a pretty strong indicator. Or when LEIs turn negative, typically recessions happen and market peaks happen six to nine months after. Or when the 10 and 2 inverts. And I think what we're, everyone's trying to look at when the Fed begins raising rates, is there a rule of thumb? And our work would all suggest that there isn't a formula that we can apply to each cycle. Each one is very unique. I ask you this, how many of the other ones over the, not, like the last nine had a major escalation in Eastern Europe? had inflation numbers that we haven't seen in decades. It's nuanced. It's different. So we have to take it as that. Now, there are some general rules of thumb, and all our work suggests when it comes to this. Also, geopolitics. Typically, geopolitical conflicts are top of mind for investors for a short period of time. And that's anywhere between two weeks and four weeks. Will this one last a little bit longer? Likely. But it's interesting to me that there's less focus on it today than what there was even two to three weeks ago, despite actually even the tensions increasing to where we are today. When the Fed begins raising rates, they are very cautious. Uh, They're slow and measured. We don't think this time will be any different. If they believe inflation is, let's say, uh, getting ahead of themselves, are they going to be short to increase rates by 50 to 75 basis points in short order? We don't think so, especially on the backdrop of war in Ukraine and oil prices. And typically when you notice with this weakness, even with those Fed tightening cycles, Kev, is the periods where there's weakness around that tightening cycle, initially, short term, the medium to long term returns are actually quite positive. So I think that's likely another uh, story that's going to unfold. But let's not make anything, let's not promise things that we can't deliver The reality is, is when the Fed is tightening, forward returns are lower than what they would be when they are not. The returns that we've seen over the past two to three years are very unlikely to continue. But that doesn't mean we're going to have negative. We're right now in that minus five to minus eight. We're getting lots of questions from advisors in terms of have our views change for the entirety of 2022. They have not. We still believe we're going to get mid to high single digit returns for markets. It's just that a lot of the weakness has been front loaded which is actually not the worst thing in the world. It means that uh, there's still a lot of time to recoup those, and we believe we will. I think once we get more clarity, those puzzle pieces from the Fed, from the war, um, once we start filling those things in, uh, I think we have a pretty decent backdrop to recoup these negative returns and to actually gain some on top of that. Yeah, I think the other thing you're going to start seeing is more individual company performance. You're going to see more breadth in the marketplace and this dislocation you're seeing where a lot of good quality businesses are being um, you know, thrown out with the proverbial bathwater. You know, these are opportunities for active management to pick up really good names uh, or really good companies at, a, at an attractive level because ultimately their business hasn't changed. And I think that's what we got to get back to is, is what is the real impact on companies and the markets? And, and that's where we are still positive because not much has changed from our views, if anything, coming into this year. Not you know nothing really has changed. I think that's 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 the key is maintain the path right. Um, stay on your 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 path to your your, your belief system. Um, and Malkin, as you said, you know, uh, 
don't make knee-jerk reactions. I think you say the um, uh, investments are like soap. The more you touch it, the, the smaller it becomes. So sometimes the best advice is not do anything really at all. Laugh, laugh. Advisors will laugh because I always say when I go on vacation, markets sell off. Again, it happened this year. I was away two weeks ago. I agree with you. Nothing has changed. The one thing that does somewhat come up on my radar is how much oil prices have gone up. And in very short order, they've gone up basically 60% since the beginning of December. Uh, They've come back down, thankfully. But uh, doing work into it, it's not where you think it may impact it, Kev. Like I thought, oh, it's going to be a tax on the consumer. Actually, when you look at things like gas as a share of disposable incomes for Americans, for example, uh, it's actually not that high. It's like, I think, high single digits as a percentage of their... So let's just say a dollar, I'm spending 8 to 10 cents on gas. A little more than a decade ago, it was no close to 20 cents. So energy as a proportion of my wallet has decreased in, in the US. Where it will impact it is margins. Oh, high oil prices is not bad for everyone. There's a lot of companies that have, when you hear managers talk about uh, leverage, do they have pricing power, things of that nature in an environment and energy, let's say energy were to stay at these levels. Uh, not all companies are going to be impacted negatively across the board. Some have the ability to pass that on. Some have the ability to cons- uh, just take it themselves. So I think we already pointed at 2022 being a stock picker market. Uh, just given what's happened with oil, it becomes even more so because High oil prices doesn't impact all companies the same. No, that's a very good point. So, anything else, Kev? You want to add? No, I think that we've we've covered a lot. I think it's uh, it, as I said. The more I think about the analogy, and as we have now started the climb, um, it, it's just a great way to to frame the path forward uh, for interest rates and and what the environment really says says yeah and just for those who haven't read our notes or listened to the podcast, the view was at the beginning of the year. We drew the return profile for global markets, very similar to that of a family road trip, positive end destination, but there'd be pit stops along the way, some unexpected, some expected. Now, the expected from our team's point of view was really the Fed. We know around the beginning of this type of narrative, uh, markets typically are weaker. That made sense. The unexpected is obviously with the war in Ukraine is happening. I was thinking about it, Kev, a couple weeks ago. What I was worried about is, okay, we had that sell-off in January, so we were making comparisons to, you know, you leave for the family road trip, someone forgets something, and you got to go back. And that's what we thought about it. And then I thought, I'm like, how about if gas prices are so expensive that we don't even want to get back on the road again? That was what I was worried about a couple weeks ago, because if oil would have kept trending up north of 150, higher, higher, that becomes a serious concern. And you've seen that that's been replaced so I think we do have gas for the car. The end destination remain, continues to remain positive. Uh, it was just that the pit stops happened earlier. We will get through it just like every other uh, geopolitical or sell-off. The main question is, have the odds of a recession increased? And Kev, you alluded to it with the exception of the, the term structure, the 10 and 2. Nothing else is screaming, screaming recession. LEIs came out last week and they were actually better. When you look at employment, when you go through the list. So we are watching these uh, indicators militantly uh, today, especially with what's happened with oil. And right now, uh, we don't see any reason for us to change our view. uh, And we don't see any reason for us to increase the odds of a recession in 2022. We still believe it's quite low. I will add one more thing, though. Um, Don't expect this to be the only pit stop along the way. There's probably more to come. 
but we still think that road trip's going to be successful. And think about uh, expected. We have a midterm election coming up in the U.S. Historically, there's been volatility around that. Uh, what's unfolding in Ukraine, there will absolutely be more headlines, hopefully more positive headlines in terms of stopping of the conflict. But there will be more. But it's important to keep in mind, we make our plans with medium to long-term planning. There's no reason to make changes over the short term. And I guess before signing off, I want to give a shout out to uh, really to the, the man behind the scenes, and that's Peter Ward. I always give him shout outs. So he doesn't. I don't think we give him enough. Uh, give him a shout out because without him, this podcast is not going to happen. And I wanted to give him a shout out as well because he is also a very, very, very big Newcastle fan. And Newcastle over the past couple of weeks has really dug themselves out of the relegation zone uh, in the EPL. His magpies, I guess they're called. Uh, he's been giving us a lot of updates on that. But Peter, thank you so much for all the work that you do. And uh, uh, it looks like, you're new, looks like you'll be cheering for Newcastle in the uh, upper echelons next year as well. So a shout out to Peter. You're very welcome. How are the lads? So with that, I am Makan Nia. And Kevin Hedlund. And thank you for listening to Investments Unplugged. Copyright Manulife. Commentary is for general information purposes only and shouldn't be relied on for specific financial, legal, or other advice. It does not constitute an offer or an invitation by or on behalf of Manulife Investment Management to any person to buy or sell any security. Opinions expressed are those of Manulife and or the sub-advisor of Manulife Investment Management and are subject to change based on market and other conditions. Any Manulife funds mentioned are available to Canadian investors only. Manulife isn't responsible for any losses arising from any use of this information. Manulife funds are managed by Manulife Investment Management Limited, formerly named Manulife Asset Management Limited. Manulife Investment Management is a trade name of Manulife Investment Management Limited. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. This information does not replace or supersede KYC, Know Your Client, Suitability, Needs Analysis, or any other regulatory requirements and is intended for Canadian advisors.